Well, at this point, if you're involved in the junior high or in high school, our youth ministry is welcome to take off. You guys are meeting over in the B auditorium, so and as some of those seats empty out, if you're standing around and you need somewhere to sit, there those are opening up for you. Otherwise, good morning, Olive Branch. Ooh, this side said hi. How about you guys? How you doing? All right. How about you guys over there? I mean, we, let, let's do a, like a war of hellos. No, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, I'm excited about this morning. We are starting our spiritual growth campaign. Anybody pumped up to have a soul detox? I am. It's going to be, hey, we're all gluttons for punishment. The, uh, what I've got here is, our, is actually my group's bag. So if you're in my group, I'm not giving you your book yet. But um, what's, what's really cool is, is if you're getting involved in one of the small groups, your, your group is going to have the DVD and information there and the kind of the curriculum guide. But also, you each get a, your own study guide as you go through this. And the reason I'm kind of showing these things off is because if you're not involved in a community group, you've not dove in and gotten connected, you don't get any of this stuff. And you're missing out on a huge portion of what we're attempting to do. So I want to encourage you to find yourself in one of the community groups. we got men's groups, we've got women's groups, we've got 20-something singles, we've got the mixed normal small groups, got a lot of opportunities, all kinds of nights available, and so guys, don't, don't think you can't find a chance. We really, we're going to be doing 12 segments, but um, six of them are in the small groups. You're missing out on half of the material if you're not engaged in some kind of community group uh, in this series. So I want to encourage you guys to do that, to get this information and add that into your life. It's only going to enhance what we're doing. Otherwise, I want to begin this entire series, and I'm going I'm going to ask that you guys would join in with me by, by praying over this. So would you, would you join with me? Would you bow your heads? Father, we, we submit ourselves to you. We submit this series to you because we believe that you are here and you want to work in our hearts, that you want to begin to let your holiness, um, which is your greatness, your perfection, your wonder, work in us to change and cleanse us of our evil, our wrongs, of our of our toxins that are invading our life. And God, we, um, we know they're there and we know it's going to hurt. We know it's not going to be easy, but God, we want to be usable by you. We want to be ready to be used by you. And so we as a church, we submit ourselves to you. We ask that you'd have your way in our souls. You take us where our faith, um, where our feet wouldn't normally take us, but where our faith could, where we're trusting you. And God, we just submit this series to you. Work in us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? So for those of you who don't know what amen means, it means I agree. I'm in, I'm in on that. You know, count me. And that's why we say amen together, right? Just letting the, right? This is like interactive time. Let's wake up. This is good. We've had some good worship. Now it's time to get in the word of God. Um, when we start this soul detox, it's very important that we come to the realization that one thing, one solitary thing can hinder your entire experience. And if we don't deal with that at the very beginning, if we don't hurdle this now, we're not going to be able to engage and break through what we need to do in this soul detox. And so really it's best illustrated by, by, the, by a particular show. How many of you guys have watched or watch American Idol or one of its ripoff shows like, um, you know, American's got something or other, stuff like that. Anybody here? Throw your hand up. I want to see it. Good. Okay, so you guys will know what I'm talking about. How many of you have at least seen American Idol, at least part of it, even in pieces on YouTube? If you've seen on YouTube, you've most likely not watched any of the amazing stuff. You've probably watched the beginning episodes of American Idol, where people spend hundreds of dollars and lots of hours to stand in line, to stand in front of four judges who will then tell them they stink. And that's the basic reality for the majority of people who go. And the worst case scenario is those people who get up and they're like, hi, my name is 
my name is Chanel, and I'm really excited about this today. And, and then they, she, they're like, okay, what are you going to sing? I'm going to sing Les Miserables. I dreamed a dream, a dream gone by. And you're like, you're getting uncomfortable at home. And it's like, they turned my mic off. That was so bad. So... <laughs> And that's literally, you're watching that going, would somebody turn the camera off? This is embarrassing. Yeah, we love it. We tune in to watch other people realize they have no idea that they can't sing. And you're watching it. And it's even better when the mom, you get the guys like, I don't know what that was, but I know cats that sing better than you. That's what you get out of this place. This isn't, this isn't your game. And in walks the mom, all belligerent. She's like, Honey Boo Boo can do whatever Honey Boo Boo wants. And Honey Boo Boo is available to make sure that, you know, and you're just like, these parents are endorsing this. How, I just, I sit back and I wonder, how can be, somebody be so self-deceived to think that they can sing? They're willing to spend money. They're willing to go through a process of hours of waiting. And, and they get in there and it's like, these are the first people in their lives that have ever told them. Babe, you can't sing. I want to know what kind of evil, deceptive families these people are being raised in. That they're not willing to say, eh, uh, yeah, wow, yeah. You know, I'm not saying wow because I was good. You know? But that's the case. We, we are so self-deceived. We can literally fool ourselves. Some of you can't sing out there. It's okay in church if you can't sing. We're supposed to make a joyful noise to the Lord. You don't have to be uh, amazing at it. So sing out. Let your, let your, let your light shine. And, uh, just, uh, endure, and just enjoy the Lord. But don't get in front of a camera if you can't sing. Uh, but we're all self-deceived. I really believe. I remember when I was in youth ministry and a, a good friend of mine walked up to me. And youth ministry was popping. It was a blast. We had students everywhere. I was playing basketball with them. I was beating them in basketball. So it was fun for me. Go play video games. I was beating them in video games. So it was fun for me. I, you know, it's, I just enjoyed youth ministry a lot. It helped, uh, it helped my self-esteem. And the, uh, as we're just having a blast together, I'm thinking, these kids like me. We're having fun. These kids want to be around me. And my friend Matt comes up to me and says, Greg, we're just having a conversation. He goes, Greg, you realize they're all intimidated by you, don't you? And I'm like, they're not intimidated by me. I'm a goofball. I'm a weirdo. I'm a nerd. You can't be intimidated by a nerd. Who's intimidated by a nerd? And he's like, no, no, I'm serious. They're intimidated by you. So he systematically brings me to each student, like about 10 of them. He's like, so, hey, um, is Greg intimidating to you? And I can remember, I think it was Christine, actually, who was standing there. And Matt asked this. She's like looking at me like, do I have to say this in front of him? I, I'm really uncomfortable about this. She's like, yeah, he's intimidated. I mean, 10 out of 10. Yeah, he's intimidated. I'm going, this is ridiculous. It's the eyebrows. Get over them. It's okay. I'm not intimidating. But I had totally deceived myself that I'm everybody's buddy and nobody's scared of me. And Matt just ripped that off. He just showed me that I didn't know what I was talking about, that I was, I was totally blind to a certain part of my life. You are never more blind yourself than when you're all by yourself and you believe in your own things, right? And that's the truth because the heart is an interesting thing. The heart in the Bible is this idea of how you view yourself and who you are and how you live out your life. And in the scriptures in Jeremiah, check this verse out. It says this, in Jeremiah chapter, I believe 17, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Look at this passage. It is a fascinating passage to me because I love talking to people. I love to go, who is the most deceitful being in the universe, you know? And if you talk to a Christian, we're invariably going to say the devil. The devil is the most deceitful being. And according to this passage, that's not true. The heart of a human being, our hearts, are the most deceitful things in the world. They're ready to trick you. They're ready to lie to you. They're ready to do all kinds of things to us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
That's a scary thought to me. That's a scary verse in my mind because when I'm starting to self-examine myself, however that works, when I'm starting to look into my own life, I'm realizing I'm probably deceiving myself. And it's so clear, isn't it? When somebody comes to tell us something about ourselves, we're the first to defend ourselves. We get who we are. We know what our motives are. We know what we're doing. We know why we're doing it. And it's not wrong. Oh, those other people, they got problems, but not me. Self-deception is one of those horrible things because when we view ourselves through a distorted lens, we will very much likely view truth in a distorted way. When you view yourself in a distorted way, you will see truth in a distorted way. When you can't handle that you are a certain way, you're going to justify that thing. I've seen it over and over and over again. As people discover something sinful about themselves, they suddenly baptize it and say, that's okay. When they suddenly feel sin pressing in on them, they go, nah, that's not a sin. That's not a big deal. And we deceive ourselves, and so we, and so we see distorted selves, and we believe distorted truths. They go hand in hand. And that's the first thing, that if it's, we're going to do a soul detox, we're going to allow God to work through us and change us and transform us by his holiness, we have to view ourselves rightly. We have to be ready to see who we really are. And that's tough, because we are a, we are a deceitful people. Check out this verse in the Psalms that, that talks about this idea of self-flattery that disables our ability. It's this self-flattery that stops us from knowing ourselves. It says, for he, and talking about the wicked man, and none of us in here consider ourselves wicked, right? We're, we're, we're all cool people. And so, but the wicked man flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, and he has ceased to act wisely and do good. And Psalm 36 here is, just, is, is opening our eyes to something that we as a people can flatter ourselves. We can tell, you know, I'm amazing. We, know, we don't say this stuff out loud, but we think it in our heads. Somebody confronts us, and we think, I'm not that bad. You don't know what you're talking about. That's why we defend ourselves, why we get in arguments. We're great, and we flatter ourselves so much to the point that we are not able to see our own iniquity. Our own eyes, his iniquity can't be found. He can't see his sin so that he can hate it and get it away. We can't see that we're evil. We can't see that we've got corruption. We can't see that we have these things. And so we are self-deceived because we just don't know what we don't know. Isn't that true? I didn't know I was being intimidating. I didn't know that. So how could I know it if I don't know it? That's the point. It's kind of a bad point, but the point is clear. You don't know what you don't know. That's what self-deception is about. And we all know people like this, don't we? I mean, think, stop for a minute. I just want to take a quick poll in the room. How many of you struggle, would say you struggle with self-deception? Throw your hand up. You, you, you'd admit, hey, I, I struggle with self-deception. Okay, there's a, there's a bunch of us in the room. Now, how many of you know somebody who is completely self-deceived? Throw your hand up. I mean, honestly, join with me. I know if you're not a hand raiser, I need you to do this. You know somebody, something, and let me give you a descriptor. You know they drink too much. You know they've got an alcohol problem, but they swear they don't. They, they lie like crazy, and they think they're the most honest people in the world. They're horrible parents, and they think they're great. Now, how many of us actually know somebody who is self-deceived? Throw your hand up. Now, I want to point out something. The statistical variance here is that everybody in the room knows somebody who's self-deceived, but not everybody's struggling with it. Are we self-deceived? That's the question this is supposed to bring up. Are we struggling with ourselves? Are we struggling with how we view ourselves? Are we really self-deceived? Because if we're not even going to listen to this, we can fool ourselves. Well, you can deceive yourself that you're not deceived. How deceitful is the heart? 
And this is what the danger is because if we don't believe that we've got a problem, we're going to think when somebody brings us a problem about ourselves, they're liars. When you view yourself with a distorted lens, you will view truth in a distorted way. You say truth is a lie and we could be 100% wrong and they could be 100% right, but deception makes it look the opposite. This is the danger of a soul detox. If we don't deal with this, you can't know what you and I need to change because self-deception has captured us, but it's destroyed by a self-examination. Self-deception is destroyed by self-examination. One of the interesting aspects for my life is I, I, I grew up with my grandmother. I grew up here in Corona. My grandmother lived up in Gavilan Hills. Any Gavilan Hills people in here? You all live up in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, and it's, it's this beautiful place up off Cahalco. I had bad dreams growing up as a kid. I was riding down on my bike and falling off the side of Cahalco all my life. And, and so... It has a lot of endearing place to me. Hartford Springs is kind of this location up there that you can roam around and kind of get in trouble as a kid in, in different little mines and stuff. So we're roaming around up there, and invariably we'd go hiking up there, and there's huge oak trees, California oaks, and you'd go under them, and you'd climb around them, and you'd play in the leaves and stuff, and you'd come home, my grandma, she'd be like, all right, take your shirt off, we're going to do a tick check. And I'm just like, tick check? I'd never seen a tick, I never heard of it, you know, I knew what a tick was. I'm just like, I don't want to do this. She'd be like, <laughs> You know, it's like being the monkey, like examining her hair and moving back her ears and checking everything. Open up your armpit. I'm like, really? This is ridiculous. And looking for ticks. Now, after I've seen ticks and I've caught them, you know, flying, jumping around and stuff, I know what my grandmother was worried about. Because you don't want to get a tick under your skin and first of all, have to get it off. But then to get a nice ring around the tick, which means Lyme disease, you don't want that. So you got to examine yourself. You got to nitpick and really get in there and really look and make sure it's not crawling in your hair. And that's what we need to do when it comes to self-deception. We need to open ourselves up to a toxin check. We need to open ourselves up and be sure that we are available to be looked at. And are you willing to do it? Is the hardest question you're going to work through today. Are you willing to open yourself up to the criticism, to the idea that there might be something that you need to deal with? So what kind of toxins are we talking about? We need to look for several different things. First of all, we're going to talk about the spiritual, to- uh, look for spiritual toxic behavior. And this spiritually toxic behavior kind of shows up in different ways. They're false beliefs about things. Maybe they're not in connection with what the scripture says about who God is or about who you are as a human being. In fact, what you may discover is that we have a lot of beliefs the Bible never endorsed, that God never said about himself. We may look inside and we may discover that, hey, I've got some really nasty words that come out of my mouth. I'm discouraging. I'm demanding. I'm angry. You've got words that just flow out in different ways. Maybe, and the worst one is that we've, we've just captured our sins and put them in a bottle. Just kind of locked them down. In fact, you may be rising up the ranks of leadership and people just don't know what's, behind, what's underneath your skin and your heart. The things that you're doing and hiding away and the places you're going and what you're keeping secret. And that's dangerous, but these things need to be dealt with. These are the toxic kind of behaviors. And why these are dangerous is because our church, we long to see everyday people change into a community of passionate Christ followers. That there's this transformation. And what we mean by that is we know what God's called us to do and we're doing it. We're living it out. Whether that means you need to come to Christ right now or whether you need to simply learn how to have a relationship with him in prayer and community or whether you have a specific calling God has given you and you're marching forward. If you have these toxic behaviors, they will keep you from accomplishing your passion. They'll cut it off. 
They will lead you in directions and destroy your ability to be useful by God. Because what we're talking about here is God's holiness, cleansing his church and preparing us for use like the priests in the Old Testament. And some of you guys don't know what this is, but in the Old Testament, they had this, pic, this, this tabernacle, this place of worship of God and God's spiritual presence was there and his holiness. And in order to do anything there, you had to go through cleansings and washings and purification so that you could be used by God in that setting. It was huge. When we talk about holiness, we're talking about is God cleansing us of the rot and the filth and the garbage so we can be used by him in the ways that he longs for us to be used. If we have these behaviors, it's going to interrupt what he's calling us to do. You're not here randomly. God's placed you, he's made you, he's given you character and a characteristics and he's get, made you to be a certain person. He's called you to receive his son so he can order your life and guide you in where he's leading you. You're not a random object bouncing off the walls of a materialistic world. And if these spiritually toxic behaviors are there, it's gonna cut off all that. The second one we could look at is spiritually toxic emotions. I think we as a culture stress this more often because it's here that we're really wrestling with things like bitterness. So angry, so upset, but we feel so justified, yet it's wrapped its tentacles around our hearts and crushing them. Anger and rage shows up on freeways randomly. Impatience, frustration, jealousy and envy created by the very commercials and the desires to have more and everybody's got something better. If that's where we're at, God can never bless us because what all these things do is they lead us away from his truths. Where he says we ought to be forgiving to one another and loving, we hold on and we get bitter and angry. Where he says we ought to be free to bless other people with what we've been blessed with. We get greedy and we get jealous and we hold on and we ignore the blessings God has given us. These ideas that fall into our hearts, these emotions that rise up from our fallen selves wind up crushing God's truths in our lives. We need to ask God to cleanse us of those things. Then there's the influences. There's unhealthy influences in our lives, consumption of things. And this is various, and this varies, and this can be any kind of media, things like the internet. It can be things like television shows, movies, you know, radio programs. There's all kinds of consumption that comes in. Not all of it's evil, but what happens is how is it is that some of it can be very damning and damaging influence in our lives. Same thing with your friends. Same thing with your, the people that surround you. Are they encouraging you? Are they building you up? Are they crushing you? Are they leading you astray? What's going on? Because you often find the community you surround yourself is often what you imitate. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we in some unhealthy situations? Are we deceiving ourselves? We need to detox these things. We need to get them out of our system. We need to allow them to work out. And to detox, we've got to realize we've got to find, see the enemy, and he's going to fight back. Once you start working on these things, you've got to see these things, and they're going to fight back. They're going to push back on you. You're going to get some advance, and it's going to say, no, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to get this out of my life. I like this. And you'll find it showing up as you begin to examine your heart. When you, it'll come up in some certain phrases. Here's, here's some of the phrases that, that people start to use. And it starts here. It's, it's, I don't have a problem with this. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? You know, hey, dude, you seem to be smoking a lot. I don't have a problem with this. It's okay. 
I'm, I'm good with the parties. I'm good with, the, uh, I'm good with my girlfriend. I'm good with my boyfriend. I don't have a problem with this. In other words, don't look, and you're going to find yourself in the self-deception as you begin to do, the, do this examination going, well, I don't really have a problem with that. If you feel like that's an excuse you're making, that's a red flag. How about this phrase? It's no big deal. This is, all, this is one way I cope with everything. So when you're stressed out, you eat everything in your refrigerator? <laughs> yeah, man. That helps. Feel real good afterwards. You go get coffee every day and drink it in five seconds? Yeah. This is one that I've heard a lot of people use. Hey, I'm not as bad as those people. And have you heard somebody use this one? Yeah? So you guys can talk. I feel like you're all like super convicted and so you're scared to say something. Trust me, I'm, I'm knocked down too. But a lot of people feel like, hey, I'm not as bad as most people. I mean, the fastest person we all indicate is, look, I'm not as bad as Hitler. You know, nobody's as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as the guy down there. You know, we manage to, we actually put ourselves in pecking orders and we kind of think of other people as worse or better than us. And we go, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, so I'm not that bad. That's a great excuse to not examine your heart. That's a great reason to say, I'm, oh, I can avoid this because I'm good enough. Moving on to another one. I can quit anytime I want to. I can stop anytime. This doesn't, doesn't have control over me. You know how you can tell something's got control over you? Try to stop. Do it. You can say I can quit anytime I want to as long as you're doing it. It's when you try to stop and you can't that you know you're lying to yourself. And some of what we're going to do is we're going to stop some things. You're going to discover, you know what, I never thought of myself as an addict, but I can't seem to get away from the movies. Whoever thought of a movie addict? TV addict, internet addict, but we are. Addict's just another word for sinner. Somebody who has no power over something in their life, and that's sin. I can quit anytime I want to. This is just the way that I am. This is my bad excuse, and I've heard this from many people. I am an old grouchy man. That's just how God made me, you know, that kind of a thing. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. This is my personality. Oh, if I could change it, I would, but I can't. It's almost like an excuse to say, fine, examine me, but it's not going to do any good. These are dangerous statements, phrases that should alert you that something's going on in your heart, that your heart is trying to deceive you. It's trying to capture you and make you believe a lie. And so when you examine yourself, look out for these kind of phrases. Look out for these things and dive in deeper and see what's going on. Because you know what? It's all through scripture as you start reading. These phrases will appear. I'll give you a good example. Because Jesus was trying to give Peter's attention at one point. And in Matthew chapter 26, we see this situation. Jesus just said all the disciples would betray him and walk away. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I'll never fall away. I'll never do this. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Realize who's talking here. This is Jesus He's just, you know, he's brought people back from the dead. He's turned around and healed lepers. He has spoken about things that have happened. And, and, there, and, and he tells him, you're going to betray me three times. Peter said to him, hey, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Self-deception. I don't care what you say, God. I know better. I don't care what you say, my friend. You're a liar. If you view yourself in the wrong way, you're going to view truth in the wrong way. If you look at yourself through a distorted lens, it's very likely you're going to view distorted truth. 
Because when our friends come up to encourage us, when God starts to try to speak to us, we may be resistant, but we need to look, we need to examine. And that begins by asking God, just saying, God, show me what's going on in my life. Reveal it to me. Now, God will work in a bunch of ways, but I want to give you an interesting one, and I want to use it as a warning because I want to show you how dangerous this scenario is if we're willing to resist. And this is found in the book of 1 Kings. So I want you to, add, I want you to look at this. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 9. It's an interesting man. His name is Elijah. Have you never heard of Elijah? Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel had these men called prophets. And God would speak to them and would speak to the nation about the moral direction, where they should go. The kings were supposed to listen and obey the prophets. The kings were supposed to institute things. So it was this big check and balance system God had set up. And well, what's interesting is Elijah is considered one of the greatest prophets of the time. And as you read about him, he, everything God tells him to do, he just goes and does it. God said, go here to Mount Carmel, and he goes. And he says, you know, he takes on this contest with these uh, Baal worshipers. Baal is another god of the ancient world. And as they're trying to dance around and scream and cut themselves and get Baal to do, to take up this offering that they've offered, nothing happens. And finally, Elijah douses his with tons of water in the middle of a drought and puts this thing um, and backs away and just asks God, show yourself. And a bolt out of the blue, fire just comes down, a lightning bolt just, boom, comes down, consumes the whole offering, makes it go away. And then the people of Israel realize Yahweh is the real God. Everybody gathers together and takes care of the Baal worshipers or the priests. And all this stuff starts happening. Well, in the meantime, the king and the queen, Ahab and Jezebel, are angry at Elijah because Jezebel's God is Baal. And she doesn't like having her religion upended. And in her anger, she takes and kills off all the followers, all the prophets and all the, all, the, all the people of Yahweh, basically, that she can find. Everybody else is pretending and hiding from Jezebel. Well, Elijah's still listening, do this, do this. And finally, he hears about this, and he's threatened by Jezebel. So he goes, I'm out, I'm done. And in a massive depression, marches his way from all the way in the northern area of Israel, down south to where Moses had been once, called Mount Horeb. Now, God provides for him the whole time. This is the big Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments come down, and this is where, Mo, where Elijah finds himself sitting there. And that's where we pick up our story. He's sitting there. God's trying to get his attention, and it says this. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? The mystery of this text is that Elijah has obeyed, 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 and finally when he starts running, God didn't tell him to go there. God didn't tell him to go anywhere. God didn't tell him, run away from Jezebel. She's going to get you. No, he just does it on his own. And, he, and so God says, what are you doing here? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Anybody flattering themselves in this text, you think? I'm the only one who worships you, God. It's interesting God's response to this. It says, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. So he causes the wind, but he's not in it. It's not him. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. He caused it. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And so in that, in that silence, in that Elijah, when he had heard that whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. 
So here he is. He's sitting all alone. Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to eat some worms. God does all this stuff to get his attention. Earthquake, fire, wind, breaking rocks. And then, and this, and he's like, look, I'm in the whisper. I'm in the power. Come on, wake up. Goes outside and says, all right, basically, God, what do you want? What are you doing here, Elijah? God repeats his question. And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Is Elijah listening? Yes or no? Say it out loud. No. God can come to us, and he can be trying to get our attention through our friends. He can be trying to get our attention through the word of God. He may be trying to get our attention through circumstances. Yes, he may even try to get our attention by speaking to us by his spirit. But you know what the bottom line is here? We cannot be listening. We can be so self-deceived, so sure of ourselves, so sure of our position that when God says, I'm here, what are you doing here? And we're like, forget it. I don't want to hear about it. I know what's going on. This is probably one of the saddest things I've ever read after this. The Lord said to him, go, return on your, will, turn on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you'll anoint Hazael king, to be king over Syria. Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephet of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of who have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you think of yourself a little too much. And if you're not willing to listen to me, I think we're done. I would hate to think that if we are willing to ignore God, that he would say, okay, I'll use somebody else. You know, Olive Branch, you're not listening to God. You're not listening to me in your word. You're not putting it into practice. You didn't listen to me. I think I'll go use somebody else. You know, Greg, you're not really listening to me. You're not really taking my rebukes. You're not listening to the people surrounding me. You know, I think I'll go use somebody else. That would be devastating to me. That God has put you here for a purpose. He has a passion that you are to, you're to have with him, to walk in, to know him, to live out, and to enjoy him, and to be wondered about him. And he comes to you to say, let's clean this up so I can use you. And we go, not listening, sir. All right. I'll use somebody else. I don't want that for anybody in this room. One of the reasons we're doing soul detox is so that we can allow God to tell us what we need to be transformed in. So his holiness can enter us, change us, remove the garbage, the sludge and the mess. Not fully, it's never going to be completely done, but to move us to where we're usable. And all this stuff is out of the way. But we have to be willing to listen. We have to be ready to accept that God may be speaking to us in our friends, our family, in our, in our relationships, in the word of God, in our small groups, wherever we're at that he may be speaking. I can tell you, you can be really deaf to people. 
I know, I've been there. My wife was, was trying to get my attention for years. We've been, we just had our fourth child. She was homeschooling. Things were stressful at work. Things were stressful in our home. Just stuff was not working well. And I wouldn't let go of my stupid dream of the way I wanted our lives to work, which included my wife staying home and doing the homeschooling and getting all this stuff. And the thing is, she kept telling me, listen, it's not working. It doesn't work with who we are. It's not working with the church. It's not working with the, all this stuff. It's not working with who our kids are. I can't do this anymore. They're sitting in front of me, bawling in a conversation we'd had many, many, many times before. I finally, I can remember the day. I'm sitting on the couch, and it strikes me, finally, I'm listening. And the Lord's just like, what are you doing? You're not leading your wife. You're not being the spiritual head of this house. You're holding on to your dreams, your ways, your passions, not what I've called you to do. And I had to shift. I had to change. I, I mean, scriptures are going through my mind, and I'm going, I've really messed this up. Because I wasn't willing to let go of something. Detoxing is hard because you're going to have to let go of things that you love, things you defended. You're going to have to admit you're wrong. You're going to have to admit you've got problems. You're going to have to admit that there's a secret in your soul that you have to expose to the light. If you're not willing to do that, don't go through this series. But realize you're risking God not using you. And so the challenge in this is don't allow yourself deception to get, but listen to the rebuke. Look at Proverbs 15, 31 through 32. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Anybody want to sign up on the wise category of life? You'd love to be able to make great decisions, put yourself in the right positions for life. Sure, whoever ignores instructions despises himself, hates himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. I know this is true. It happened to me. Back in youth ministry, I was involved uh, in, in this exciting thing as we were rebirthing the youth ministry many, many years ago. One of the traditions was to take the students to Magic Mountain. We got all the kids together in a big old bus, like 70 kids when we had to take an extra car. And so I'm driving one of the extra cars. It was just a blast. We get out there. One of the traditions was when we came home to stop off at Taco Bell. Now, you can imagine dropping 70 teenagers off, and most of them, a lot of them boys, who eat in all of Taco Bell in one sitting. And and we go into this place, and the line is just huge. Everybody's hungry. Everybody wants to eat. It's cheap food, and it's not Magic Mountain $9.00 you know, tiny hamburger thing. It, it, it's bad Mexican food waiting for you. You know, it's like, unless you like Taco Bell, it's great Mexican food waiting for you. So the, anyway, he's, we're standing there and I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm like a, the, this will date my youth, but I was totally into like ducktails. So I'm hearing Scrooge McDuck saying, work smarter, not harder. And I'm looking around going, this is a long line. I pull three kids with me. We get in my car and we go into the drive-thru. smart move, I'm thinking. These guys are excited with me. We're all getting out of the car 10 minutes later with our food. Look at everybody else going, ha, 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 waiting that long line. We got cars. Karen Jones, who is uh, one of my youth leaders, walks up to me and goes, what are you doing? Being smart, uh, teaching them how to be industrious, using creative concepts to answer difficult questions. You know, I'm coming up with every excuse in the book. She's like, no. What are you doing? You're exampling selfishness, putting yourself before these kids, putting yourself before, this is what you want these kids to do? You want them to grow up thinking they can get ahead of everybody else just for the sake of it? And just this one rebuke, I'm just like, 
<laughs> Eat your tacos, Greg. <laughs> that rebuke changed my ministry. It, it gave me an intelligence about how to care and lead students that I didn't have before. Now, if I hadn't listened, it would have been a different story. But I praise God that he gave me the sense, and she's scary, so I had to listen. But <laughs> to listen, and it changed things. Who in your life is trying to help you listen so things can be changed? Who in your life is trying in their loving, most passionate, caring manner to shake you and wake you to something that you already know is there, but you just don't want it opened up? Because if that's there, there's no soul detox coming because we're being deceived. There's self-deception. I'm just begging you, listen, please. You got bad money things and somebody's trying to help you, listen. If you're skinny, 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 and you think you're fat, you need to listen when somebody tells you you got a problem. If you're sitting there and you're going to the gym 24-7 all the time because you are so concerned about how you're doing it, it's not about health. If somebody's trying to help you, show you that's not a good idea, listen. Guys, there's so much we need to listen to. So I'm asking you to ask this difficult question right now. Right up here, ask yourself, is there something God is trying to show me? Is there something God is trying to show me? That's what I'm asking you to do. If you bow your heads, right where you're at, ask God that question. God, is there something you're trying to show me? And I want, to hear, I want you to hear this verse as God may be dealing with you. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if God has given you a scripture from the word of God to, to obey, if something's going on, welcome to the detox. It's time to start moving. And I want to encourage you. Some of you in this room, you may be drinking the poison of self-deception. You may actually be telling yourself right now, hey, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not a bad person. I, I'm, not, I'm not having problems with this. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I'm not judging all kinds of people over one experience. Can I, can I, can I just say right now, respectfully, that you, you are a bad person. I am too. See, we deceived ourselves a long time ago that we're good enough, we're smart enough, and doggone it, people like us. But God in his word has been trying to wake humanity up for centuries, telling us, no, we're sinful. We're sinners. We've just deceived ourselves that we're okay. And God has been shouting and using people like you and like me all over the world, trying to let people know that there's a day coming where our sins are gonna be dealt with. It's called judgment. And we're gonna stand before him and we're gonna have to pay for the sins that we've done. Whether we think we did it or not, He's going to show us that they're there and our self-deception is going to be gone. And we're going to go, why didn't you tell me? He's going to go, I did. It didn't listen. Please don't be self-deceived today. Know that you have sin. All of us do that. Every human being must deal with sin. It's a power out of our own control. It runs our lives. 
We may even identify ourselves by our sin. And God is saying, listen, I am here to deal with it. He's not here to judge, but he's here to put the judgment on his son, Jesus. And what Jesus did is he bore that sin on the cross. He bore that punishment on the cross that if we would trust in God's promise that we could be forgiven, that that judgment would be done. More than that, Jesus rose from the dead to give us a new chance on life, that we would walk out of here with God in our life, leading and transforming us as he's come into us to shape us and remove the sin and the sludge and the mess. It's not easy. It's hard. It will be the hardest thing you've ever faced, facing God. Dealing with your judgments, your angers, your frustrations, your bitterness, your lies, your truths, all of that. Not inviting you to a life of skipping down lanes and singing zippity-doo-dah. I'm inviting you to meet the holy God who wants to transform you and then use you greatly. But the only way there is through acknowledgement of our self-deception, the forgiveness of sins that God is willing and fully able to give. If that's where you are today and you're done trying to fight off God's clear truth and you see the deception and you know you need to be forgiven, I want to give you that chance to receive God's gift of Jesus Christ who bears your sins and takes away judgment. You may have been gone a long time. You're ready to come back or maybe this is the first time, but if that's where you're at and you're ready to receive that gift, you're ready to be forgiven of sins, I want to give you a chance to put your hand up and just let me know right where you are. Amen. Maybe you're cool with where you're at and you're ready to just go out there and take the gamble of that life is purposeless and random. That's cool. But if God's calling you right now and you know it, respond. All of us who've raised our hands and anybody here who might not be willing to raise a hand but ready to respond in some way, I want to walk you through a prayer. The prayer does not save. It is an expression of trust to God's truth and promises. Jesus saves. But this allows you to speak and just kind of let that, let that come out. You just, if you want to join me, you just say, God in heaven, I, um, I admit that I've sinned. And I know a judgment is coming for that. Please forgive me. I trust that Jesus Christ bore my sins on the cross and has taken my judgment. I trust that he rose from the dead to give me a new life. And I ask you to come into me to lead me from here. Shape me. Use me. In Jesus' name, amen.